0: The magic of technology because Sharon is in two places at the same time. Yeah. Uh, everyone gave her a round of applause because she's actually here, so, that, so there was kind of an excitement with, with that. But thank you for that wellness tip. I think it's so important during this time that as we sort of re-enter society that we have these wellness tips to actually help us to experience anchoring in a lot of different ways. Well, welcome to Evergreen Baptist Church of Los Angeles. We are live and in person and online at the same time with our hybrid services. And I hope that you guys are all doing really well this morning. We're in our current sermon series called Anchored. And as I just mentioned, we're talking about how to navigate this this season of the pandemic fall uh, with all the sort of uncertainty and instability that we're experiencing and figure out how to be anchored in Jesus during this time. There's sort of this uh, back and forward, up and down sort of motion that we all feel because things are opening up, and then they're closing again. You take off your mask, and put it on again. You you don't need a shot? Oh, now you need a shot. And so there's sort of this kind of jerky motion, and I sort of liken it to being seasick because you're going up and down, and you really don't have a lot of stability that you're feeling under your feet. So I call it this pandemic nausea that we might be feeling. And I think this is the new normal, right? I mean, we have church, and we, we're ready for service, but last, last week we experienced some of our staff can get sick too or, or have symptoms, and then all of a sudden, just for safety reasons, we got to sort of pivot. And this is the new normal. This m- makes us feel exhausted. Because we're not quite sure what to do. We're, not, we're, we're sort of always on edge trying to figure out how to live our lives during this time. And so this fall we're exploring how to tether ourselves to the rock. To the rock of Jesus Christ. So that even in the middle of the storm. Even in the most rocky, <laughs> nauseating places. Even in the most uncertain and unstable points of this we find ourselves anchored to to the peace of God, just like we, we read about in our first week as we talked about Jesus in the storm. Now, uh, At the beginning of the pandemic, like a lot of us, our family was really cautious, and so we were one of those families where we didn't let our kids go play on the playground, right? We'd walk by playgrounds, and um, they would see other kids playing, and we're like, you can't go over there. (laughs) Every family makes their own choice. This is ours. You stay over here with us. And so early this spring, we decided, you know what? We feel more comfortable now. Let's... Uh, you know, we had heard, learned more about the pandemic. Let's let our kids play on the playground. And so we let them play on the playground. And this is kind of the first time that our kids had been exposed to other children their age. They, they go on the playground, they start playing. And this little boy comes up to our daughter, Annabelle, and he's like, he's like eager to play with her, right? And Annabelle just like goes up to him and goes, mm-mm, <laughs> no. And part of me was like, well, good for you. <laughs> to keep that practice for the next 18 years. Um, the other part of me just felt this sense of sadness, like, oh, that's how we all are right now, aren't we? When people come up to us, we're like, oh, oh, uh, let me see your vaccination card. Uh, do you have a mask? And we're sort of, we sort of have this hesitation with, with people because we're just not used to it. And so what Annabelle did, I feel like, oh, that's, that's kind of me too. That's kind of all of us. For a year and a half, We've been living these isolated and distanced lives. My therapist says it actually takes six weeks, six weeks to rewire your brain so that a new habit or new practice can become habit. Well, it has been a lot longer than six weeks and my brain is rewired to be a little more distanced from everybody else. And so, for good reason, we were trying to, st- to fight this pandemic and take care of our loved ones. Our favorite restaurants and hangouts closed down, the church shut its doors, and even when we went out, we had to stay six feet from all the people around us. Even here, we're, we're still sort of practicing uh, physical or social distancing here at, at church. And while necessary, I think all of this had its side effects on us too. And I think that uh, that's part of the reason why we're feeling like our social skills have have deteriorated in the pandemic. We're we're not as good in conversations anymore or we're a little bit more awkward, right? We don't feel like we're quite back to normal. And I think part of the pandemic nausea is that we might actually feel a bit of anxiety re-engaging with the rest of the world. I mean, with our pods, with our families, it's okay. But when we go out and we're sort of interacting, I I don't know about you guys, if you guys have been to weddings or funerals, you're sort of like, oh, I want to hug you, but I kind of don't. You know, there's there's this anxiety of like, ah, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And that makes us feel a little bit uneasy. And I think that cautiousness is is a sign that we might need, we might need just to feel a little bit more peace right now as we re-engage, as we re-enter society. I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps uh, at home, if, uh, to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 and we're going to be looking at the story in, God, in uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 starting at verse 26 about the Gerasene demoniac and in Luke chapter 8 we find Jesus in the area of the Gerasenes just off of the Sea of Galilee and it's here that Jesus meets a demonized man who's been living away from people for a very long time Let's read, starting at verse 26. It says they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, "What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you!" Don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had come out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were because they were, excuse me, because they were overcome with fear, so he got into the boat and left. The man whom the demons had come out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return home, tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. So this story takes place right after Jesus calms the storm, uh, our anchor passage for this entire anchored series that we read two weeks ago. And remember that Jesus is on this boat as he's crossing the Sea of Galilee in the region, uh, going to the region of the Gerasenes. And um, this storm almost swamps the boat. And remember, Jesus was sleeping on a pillow in in the back of the boat. Well, as soon as Jesus and and the boat hits land, he steps off the, the boat in this region. And he's greeted by this man with an impure spirit. Now Mark's gospel, that talks about the same story from a different perspective, tells us that he, this man was often chained hand and foot, but he was so, so strong that he was able to break free of those irons and nobody was able to subdue him. As, and he lived among the hills and he would often cry out, it said, and he would cut himself with stones. Now Luke's gospel, which we just read, says that he was from a nearby town. But the impure spirit had caused him not to wear clothes and not to live in a house, it says, but to live in the tombs. And here's the interesting part. The demon drove this man into solitary places. The demon drove this man into solitary places. Doesn't that sound like all of us for the past year and a half? The COVID demon drove us into solitary places. Now, I don't know if that you would you would call the pandemic demonic, although if you did, I wouldn't blame you. Um, But we were all sort of driven into these isolated lives. You know, we didn't live in tombs, but we were in our houses, and we were we were sort of stopped from going out and connecting like we used usually did. Now There are good solitary places and there are bad solitary places. Jesus, the the scriptures tell us, often would go away to a solitary place and pray. That was a good solitary place because even though Jesus was alone, he was alone with God. So he was not totally by himself. And the text makes it clear that, that this was a practice that Jesus did to have intimacy with God the Father. The type of solitude that the demon leads this man into is very different. This type of solitude is one that is desolate. It's lonely. The Greek word here has this feeling of being deprived from human contact, like it was taken away from him. The demon was trying to cut this man off from connection and from relationship. Can you imagine how hard that must have been for, for this man, going through all these sort of mental health issues, whatever they were, being tormented by the Spirit and having to be by himself. So Jesus, he comes to this shore after stepping off the boat, and immediately this man throws himself at his feet, begging him not to torture, or the, the demons beg him not to torture them. And Jesus asks the demon its name. Legion, uh, the demon says, referring to the Roman military unit of about 5,000 people. The point being not that there were maybe 5,000 demons in him, but that there were a lot. There were more, it was more than just one or two. There was a little posse, a little entourage of demons in this man. And the text is telling us that, that, that there was this large number. Now, the demons recognize Jesus' authority, and they beg him, don't, don't torture us. They beg him, send us into a herd, the herd of pigs nearby instead of sending us into the abyss. So Jesus sends them into the swine and they run into the lake and they drown. Now the pig farmers who are just minding their own business, tending these pigs, they see this and their whole livelihood run into the ocean. And they, re- they run into town and they report what they saw because this is a big deal. This their, their jobs are now in jeopardy. So everybody in town and everybody in the countryside that they go and tell comes to take a look at this man that they know was out of his mind. And they find this man, this formerly demonized man, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. And everyone understandably gets scared and gets upset because Jesus just cut off their bacon supply, right? And they tell him, you have to leave. You have to leave. Now, this story is one of the more spectacular stories in the Gospels. The imagery here is so action-packed, right? Think about what's happening. It's sort of this similar feel to the story of Jesus in the storm, actually. Think about it. Remember, Jesus tells his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Let's go over to the other side. They were in Galilee, and he says, let's go over to the other side. And right from the start of the action, the text shows the region of the Gerasenes to be opposite of Galilee. This is where the disciples are. This is where the Jews are. This is where Jesus is. Jesus, the rabbi, is. But let's go over to the other side. The other side of the tracks, maybe. Opposite Galilee. The Gentiles live there. There are pig farms. There are tombs. There's a man tormented by demons. This is not a place for a good Jewish rabbi to go, or his disciples. Essentially, it's another storm that Jesus steps into. And right when he steps off the boat, the storm reacts. It comes to him and pleads at his feet. The the demons throw themselves at Jesus. Don't torture me as I have tortured this man. Don't torture me. And Jesus takes this man who has been brutally abused and tossed about by this unclean spirit. And he anchors him in the peace of God. And at the end of the story, Jesus, he's actually leaving, you know, the, the people come and they say, you have to get out of here. So He's leaving to go back to Galilee. And the man comes up to him and says, take me back with you to Galilee. I don't want to stay here. I want to go with you. Take me away from this storm. And Jesus says, no. You're anchored now. You have to stay here. Go tell everybody what God has done. Now, Jesus' power here is spectacular. Yes, he has the power to exercise the demons, to, to rid you of the demon influence in your life, in this man's life. He has the power to free us of the things that torment us. But this morning, I want to point to you to the, what I believe is the hidden treasure in this passage. The hidden treasure that I find in verse 35. And it says this in the text. It says, they found the man, the, the, the people from the region of the garrisons, they found the man whom the demons had from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Dressed and in his right mind. And my question to you this morning is, where did he get the clothes? (laughs) He has been in this solitary place, deprived of people, living in the tombs, naked and cutting himself. So where did he get the clothes? Not from the Gerasene people. The farmers went to go get them and gather them and they were all coming and they're the ones who saw him already clothed. And Apparently, he just had a makeover as well. (laughs) And I think this is what scares the Gerasene people into kicking Jesus out because they come back and he's like, this is the crazy man and he's fully clothed and sitting in his right mind. And so where does he get the clothes? Mark chapter 4 says this. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, let us go over to the other side. And the text in that first, remember we talked about this two weeks ago, the text says, leaving the crowd behind, they, they took him along just as he was. They took Jesus along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. There were other boats with him. And so when Jesus came over to the Gerasenes, the region of the Gerasenes, he had with him boats of disciples. And so when Jesus heals this man of his demons, there is a community of faith right there, ready to love him. To clothe him. Probably feed him. Maybe give him a little haircut. And so when the Gerasene people come to see him from the town and the countryside, they're like, whoa, this guy is clothed. This this was a naked guy. He's clothed and in his right mind. And here's the real imagery that I want to contrast in the text. This legion had taken over this man. But the text shows that Jesus had a legion of his own. A bunch of people who were ready to love this man as soon as he was delivered. They re-socialize him. The text doesn't explicitly say, but we know from the surrounding verses and passages that Jesus has this entourage with him. And so we can correctly assume that when the people of the Gerasenes came to find this man sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind, the shocking thing may have been that this man had friends. He wasn't sitting alone. There were all the disciples sitting there with him. And that's the shocking thing. Oh my God, the crazy man, the crazy naked man is sitting amongst friends. He actually has a community now. He is surrounded by other people. And I think that's the gift of God for us today. To consider that while Jesus' power is the activator in the story, the real anchoring presence actually comes from the community of faith, who helps us to stay in our right mind. God, we need to be in our right mind right now. This week, I want, us to, I want to invite us to consider the anchoring spiritual practice of community. The discipline of community is more of a general category. There's lots of ways that you can practice it. Small groups, accountability partners, uh, going to worship service, uh, fellowship groups. There's all sorts of ways that you can uh, engage in the spiritual practice of community. Pre-pandemic, in the pre-pandemic world, most of us were probably engaged in a lot of these ways, but since then as we look at re-entry and we sort of feel that anxiety, we may have find ourselves a little bit more cut off, a little bit more isolated, and that's totally understandable, but that's where we are. And so I want us to consider this week the spiritual practice of community. And I want us to consider that being in community is actually a spiritual discipline for us right now. That we have to, we have to take a step of faith to engage now because we're not used to it, whether that be in person or online. I mean, we can do it in a lot of ways. However, we're sort of feeling comfortable right now. We can take that next step, maybe meeting a group online or maybe uh, meeting in person. And I believe this is where, in community, where God can grow, can grow us in relationships that makes God's love real for us in our lives. where we can actually experiencing the anchoring and the peace of God, being tethered to this peace of God in a very real way through the experience of being with each other. All of us here, I think, are experiencing that right now. Maybe you've come from your homes and you haven't seen a lot of people, but now you're here and there's this sort of, oh, it normalizes us, it tethers us, it it anchors us, and I think that's God's gift to us. It was God's gift to this man in the passage, I think it's God's gift to us. Adele Calhoun in her popular Spiritual Disciplines Handbook says this, she says, The family of God is not simply a utilitarian concept. It is a loving organism where every part belongs and finds its health in right relationship to every other part. Let me read that again. Where every part belongs and finds its health in right relationship to every other part. No part is meant to function alone. As we continue on our journey of re entry, I think it's critical that we re engage in community. And there's a lot of risk out there, yes. And it's about, right now, I think it's about figuring out what we're willing to risk and what we need because we can't go on living like this forever. In the coming months, we're going to be, the staff is working on ways that we can actually engage in community. Perhaps once a month where we gather together outdoors in a safe way. We have a lot of our programming starting up online and in person. We heard about the youth group. We heard about the online baking class. We're trying to reengage in community because we believe that it's actually a spiritual necessity for us right now. It's a mental health necessity too, as, as uh, you know, we heard from Sharon this morning. We're trying to have all these options available so that none of you feel alone right now because this is a long time to be isolated. The point being that we're the family of God and no, no part is meant to function by ourselves. The pandemic has driven us to isolated places and has negatively impacted our mental health. But God gives us this community of faith to experience anchoring and tethering to his stability and to his peace, to help us all sit before Jesus in our right minds. So this month, I invite you to engage in this spiritual practice of community. If you don't know where to start, you can find a list of all those opportunities in my weekly email or online on on the homepage of our website where it lists all the activities that are happening this week. I invite you to do that and experience God's gift to us this week. Thank you. Let's pray. God, the pandemic may have left us felt, left us feeling a little more like the Gerasene demoniac than we would care to admit. We have been driven to isolated places for good reason. And some of us are still cautious about reengaging for good reason. But we also know that we're not meant to be alone. And so whether online or in person, Lord, I pray that you would lead us as a congregation back to community either back to a Zoom uh, small group or, or Sunday school class or online to, uh, or, or in person, sorry, to one of our worship services, youth group if you're a teenager, um, prime timer's breakfast if you're a primetimer, We want to begin gathering again so that we might experience the gift that you give us in the church. <laughs> In fact, I believe it's the reason you came, Jesus, that you might take all of us sinful people who are broken and isolated and have all these walls up against us and bring us together to become the family of God and experience the power of your resurrection and your transformation of all humanity here in the preview of the kingdom come that is your church. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.